Serving in the armed forces can change your life. It can help shape you, mature you. It can help you get direction. It can help you learn valuable technical and life skills and even provide you with some amazing experiences to see the world. Now, everyone's experience is different, but that's what my guests on today's episode claim. Joining me are Sean Legan and Doug Midori, both veterans of the U.S. Air Force, with strong opinions about how their service in the U.S. military played a major role in their lives and in their career in technology. Now, this show is a little different today, but that's on purpose. I love hearing about people's life journeys, and especially when it comes to tech, and I hope you enjoy it as well. My name is Philip Gervasi, and this is Telemetry Now. Sean and Doug, it's great to have you guys back again. Thanks for joining today. Uh, for our audience's sake, if you haven't listened to the episode of Telemetry Now that I recorded with Sean and with Doug uh, a while back, make sure to check it out. In that episode, we talked about basically the, the career transition from being a traditional network engineer to being more of a cloud engineer or cloud-centric network engineer. And we talked about Sean's journey in that process. But one of the things that kind of came out of that podcast was, was Sean and Doug's experience serving in the U.S. Armed Forces, specifically the Air Force, and how that helped shape them as people and, and their career in tech. And I thought it was just so interesting. So I wanted, to, I wanted to have Sean back and Doug as well and really flesh that out today. And so as we get started here, Sean, Doug, um, from a high level, I'd like to know really your experience, what your experience was like serving in the Air Force. What, what motivated you to enlist? What was that like? What years did you serve? And what, what was your role? Yeah, I um so, so I enlisted I enlisted in the Air Force. You know, I I made the decision to enlist um <laughs> September 4th, 2001 is when I signed the paperwork, so one week before 9/11. Um wow. So, you know, and and for me anyway, like the motivation was basically like I had some okay jobs, but you know, it was it was like hey, I need a career. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. All of my friends it seemed like they had like good jobs or um, you know, like things were going well for them. We're either in the Air Force or used to be in the Air Force. So I was like, all right, you know, <laughs> and I had talked to a bunch of, bunch of friends about it. And that kind of what led me down that path. But basically, you know, I, I made the decision to join then. Um, I signed all the paperwork, like I said, September 4th. I, I you know, leading up to that, I knew like I need, the, there was the, this kind of entrance test supposed to evaluate kind of your different skill sets. Um, and so, you know, it was like, okay, I studied for that when took it and scored pretty high on the electronics section, um, you know, of the test. It's called the ASVAB for people that aren't familiar, and it's used across all the all the armed forces. Um, and so that determined, like, what jobs I was kind of eligible for, right? And then, um, and so anyway, there was this, this kind of neat, neat career field in there and uh, really drew my attention. It was, it was called um, electronics electronics computer cryptographic in net like electronics computer cryptographic networking switching systems i was like i don't know what this is but it sounds cool like i don't know what it is either and and that was basically um you know my intro so anyway i, I ended up going off to uh, i had to wait a little while for a slot to open up in the in the tech school uh ended off going up to to basic training around like may of 2002 and, and served six years so um yeah, I mean, at a high level, that's that's pretty yeah. much you know uh, what got me started, and then you know into into joining the military. 
How old were you when you signed those papers in 2001? Boy, I was um, 20. 20, yeah. Yeah. So a couple so years out of high school. A couple years out of high school. I did a little bit of community college. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, you know, enough enough experience in the workforce to be like, okay, you know, like this, this isn't it. <laughs> I need yeah. to, I need to go do something, you know, something else. Um, and so, yeah, I was 20 years old. Now, was it something about the Air Force in particular? Now, you, you know, I mean, you said that you had some friends that were in the Air Force. So there was that contact that, you know, those conversations that you had. Was that really the motivating factor? I, I think so. Yeah. I, you know, my motivation was kind of like, hey, let me go try and find a career, a job mm-hmm. that I would like. I, I thought I would hate the Air Force. My experience <laughs> turned out to be completely different than that. Um, so I thought, like, you know, let me begrud- begrudgingly kind of like go sign up and, you know, I'll suck it up and go do this for six years. And I, I turned out to be, like, pleasantly surprised about my experience. But, yeah, it was yeah. mainly the Air Force. I knew, like you know, Marines isn't what I wanted to do. You know, army wasn't really it. Um, you know, the, my perception at the time, right. Of like being on a ship for six months out of the year didn't sound entirely too fun. So, uh, air force it was. Yeah. I mean, it, you said it was a week before nine 11 happened, right? <laughs> so yeah, did you yeah. actually like, I mean, you were still at home presumably when nine 11 happened. I, I was, yeah, yeah, I was at home. Um, and I have an older sister. She served in the Navy, uh, oddly enough, not in tech or anything. But uh, we both kind of joined around similar time frames. And, uh, yeah, she, you know, kind of came and woke me up and was like, hey, um, you know, go look at the news. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah it was a week before yeah. 9-11. So then I was like, oh, let me go read some books. You know, who's the Taliban, right? Like, maybe I should know this thing before I... <laughs> Before I join to go see what's happening, because obviously, uh, you know, my military service might look a little bit different than than some of my friends that had joined, you know, largely in like the 90s, right? Kind of like the mid 90s or um, that time frame. So, yeah. 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 Uh, Doug, I, I mean, I know a lot about your experience just because I've been talking to you for the past year and a half working with you. But uh, what about you? I know you're in the Air Force, but why did you join and what, what did you do? So let's see, coming out of high school, I, I was uh, college bound, but uh, was concerned about being able to pay for school. And I suppose in hindsight, I could have put it all in loans, um, but uh, uh, I, I didn't, I was kind of debt averse and also kind of liked the idea of being able to have, to do something on my own that was going to pay for uh, my school. And so I applied for a, uh, an ROTC scholarship with the Air Force, and uh, I got, there's a couple different types. I, I guess I don't know how it, how it is. I think it's changed a little bit now, but in my day, this is like 95, uh, there were three types, uh, each with different levels of uh, financial assistance. Um, I got the top one, the, the type one, which was basically whatever the bill comes to, uh, the Air Force is going to pay. Um, they don't actually do that anymore because <laughs> tuition has gotten so crazy. They did. They did eventually yeah, have right. to cap it. Uh, um, right. But uh, uh, in those days, um, yeah. So I got an ex- I got accepted to the University of Virginia. I was grew up in New York, so I was out of state. Uh, at the time, it felt expensive. Although now I look back and I was like, oh, I wish I wish a school only cost uh, what I had to pay out yeah, of state, right. uh, yep. or the Air Force had to pay out of state for me. But um, 
anyway, so it was a, there was a, definitely the number one thing was a financial, uh, uh, consideration. Um, my father was also, uh, was enlisted in the air force. He was actually the same as Sean. He was a two E two, uh, right. That, that's what you were, right. Um, so he was the same, that, same career two field. Two, um, what's that Phil? What is it? Two E two. Uh, so in the, um, we in the Air Force is called a AFSC uh, Air Force Specialty Code it is the is the alphanumeric uh, you know code for the career field that you're in. Um, uh, I think the other services say MOS um, is the same oh, acronym, right. gotcha. and so okay. it's whatever whatever the job you were. So Sean was a two E two. That's his that was his uh, career field, um, as was my father who worked on radar uh, in the 1960s, and so we had. Um, uh, yeah, most most of the men in my family were uh, a bit served in the military, uh, even with my my wife's family as well. Um, uh, ultimately, but um, uh, so yeah, it seemed like um, like well, let's see if I can get a scholarship. I got the scholarship. Uh, I did ROTC at the University of Virginia for four years, and um, Following that, was commissioned as a second lieutenant as a communications officer. So my AFSC or my MOS was a 33S is the communications officer. So you're someone who's involved in all of the uh, uh, the technical means of keeping the military uh, communications up. So um, yeah, and and so then yeah, so then I entered active duty in 1999, and my my, so the, usually when you go, like Sean mentioned this as well, uh, once you enter active duty, you get through your initial training, then um, you go to some sort of a, a kind of like a trade school, tech school, something to uh, mm-hmm. teach you your specialty. And so uh, Sean was describing what it, where a 2E2 goes. And so I was a communications officer. I went to Keesler Air Force Base in Biloxi, Mississippi. Uh, I was there for six months. Um, and uh, um, yeah, I did well there. I, th- I finished... First of my class, which was kind of good because you get a little DG designation, and then that you know when you want to go to another uh, uh, base, uh, like you're you're competing for the next assignment. So having those uh, types of um, little accolades on your on your military resume help uh, for getting a little bit of preference. I mean, number one preference mm-hmm. is where the Air Force wants to send you or where the needs are. Uh, way down on that list, or where do you go, and are you uh, worthy of what? you're asking for um so yeah. um uh, but uh yeah so so sean mentioned uh you know he went through a basic training for officers uh there's uh so i did rotc which we have we have like an officer basic training uh between the sophomore and junior year of college uh and um and or you can do otc which is is the officer training school where you you didn't do mm-hmm. rotc and so it's a longer version of the boot camp kind of thing that I did um, and, and in it you're it doesn't do, have anything to do with your specialty it's just you know can you um, uh, exist in a kind of high stress military environment getting yelled at right. and, um, uh, yeah I don't know so you you uh, were a freshman in college at was it UVA you mentioned yeah at UVA in 1995 and then after four years, graduated in 99, and then you went active duty in 99. And That's that right. was for an additional, what is it, the, the contractors for five years? If you're uh, f- yeah, I owed four years. So basically, this, yeah, so, so it was four years active duty, and then four years you're in the, uh, the, 
individual ready reserve, which is like the really lowest level of uh, mm -hmm. reserves where there's absolutely nothing you have to do. You're, you're just still in the system. Um, but yeah. I don't know. When I got out uh, in 2004, um, there it was not a. Uh, uh, it was a non-zero possibility that you could get yeah. um, recalled to service. They were having issues mm -hmm. with re retention, and the army had stopgap. You couldn't. You couldn't leave. You know, so we didn't have that. Thankfully, um, and you know, if if the U.S. military wished to exercise it, uh, they would have the power to compel me to come back, uh, and maybe even turn me into a you know, an army infantry officer or something, but, um, I, I don't know of any, that never happened that nobody, um, uh, um, you know, got, got pulled in and reclassed as, yeah. uh, something else. But, um, anyway, so I, yeah, I, I owed, I owed four years. I ended up serving over five, uh, partly because I took, uh, an overseas assignment and, um, was stationed at Aviano air base, uh, North of Venice, Northern Italy, of, um, and because because I was uh, married, then uh, I uh, it went from a two-year assignment to a three-year assignment, and and then I had to sign something saying I can't leave until I'm done with three years in Italy. But I, in my mind, I was like, I, three years in Italy? That's not uh, that doesn't sound. <laughs> yeah. that, the you, Air Force was holding Doug hostage. Yeah, you're in gonna Italy. you're gonna Wouldn't force go. me. You're gonna force me to live in the uh, in the Dolomite Mountains for another year. Exactly. Like, okay. Like uh, so, I that part wasn't. That wasn't bad. I would have, uh, uh, I, I probably would have done it another year uh, there. It was really nice. Yeah. So you were active duty when 9-11 occurred. And then for the second half of your four-year uh, career in the Air Force, that's when we were uh, engaged in the war in Afghanistan and subsequently Iraq. But what was your actual like role? What was your assignment when you first started? Yeah, so I had been in Aviano. So so I did, I did well. My first assignment was as a Kind of like not very similar to an IT uh, role as a junior network engineer, um, uh, and so I I arrived in San Antonio, Texas, uh, at what was then called the Information Warfare Center. Now it's it's changed like six times. I don't know what it's called now, but it's it's part of uh, Lackland Air Force Base, part of the Air Intelligence Agency, and um, uh, they did a lot of cool stuff uh, there, but I was kind of just maintaining the networks, and, uh, and so they they had money to send me to Cisco classes, and I kind of dived into that. And I still think that that whole curriculum is if you're if you're new to the space, that's a great way to get 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 into it. Um, and obviously, you need to be a practitioner to really master it. But the I thought the um, the academics was um, really well done. And so I started take passing certification exams, and you know, but it, it was very similar to what a civilian IT person would have done. And then I uh, took over the, uh, the we had a Solaris administration. I don't know, I don't know if people use Solaris anymore, but that was a, that was the DoD thing back then was Solaris uh, Unix. And um, in my group, uh, nobody. Uh, uh, no, none of the officers wanted to touch anything Unix. They're like, ugh, like that's awful. And I was, and I was the opposite. Uh, like, I was like, I would love to do this. And they're like, really? And I was like, I was like, well, you're now in charge. And so they gave that to me. And it was, uh, yeah. So that was, uh, that was, that was fun. Um, uh, but then, yeah. So that I, I did, I did well there. And then uh, got a. Uh, I got gifted or I got, you know, rewarded with this uh, uh, command position in Aviano, uh, and that's where I met uh, Sean. So I was his commanding officer, and so I was a 
whatever, as a 24-year-old, I became uh, the commander of this uh, communications flight that supported this squadron that would deploy out and set up radar in a you know battle you know wartime situation. Um, so we were a mobile unit. It was a lot of a lot of a lot of responsibility, a lot of you know a lot of a lot more stress than just keeping the networks up. Sure. Uh, and then not only that, like I was in charge of 55 enlisted people. And when I arrived, the first, uh, my senior enlisted, uh, uh, off, uh, at senior NCO that was uh, kind of my sidekick running the flight. She had been in the air force longer than I had been alive. Oh, and boy. I was her, I was her <laughs> boss. So those are kind of like the weird dynamics you run into in the yeah, air force. Yeah. Uh, but there's like a, you know, you, after you, you're living it for a little while, there's a way, there's a, there's a, there's a reason why this is done and this has been done for a long time. Uh, mm-hmm. and there's a, there is some, a logic to it and you just have to, in both, both roles, both as the, the baby Lieutenant, uh, who's commanding someone who's been in the military longer than they've been alive, uh, for each person, there's a role to play of just how do you, how do you, um, uh, you, know, you gotta get the mission done, but then also how do you treat this other person? Uh, you know, you, you, you need to tell them what, what you think needs to be done. You also take a lot of their advice and really consider it, considering mm, they've got yeah. a thousand times more experience than you do. Sure. At least at that time. A lot of but, responsibility for anybody, but I can't imagine, especially for a 24-year-old kid. Yeah, no, as a kid, I, I honestly, it was it was actually really hard, uh, to be honest. So that was quite a transition from being a, you know, sitting in a cubicle, uh, doing uh logging into Cisco routers, writing shell script to maintain, uh, Solaris stuff. Um, I had a couple contractors and enlisted guy that worked for me with a little team. Um, and then now I'm standing in front of, uh, this, um, unit that, uh, has to deploy at a moment's notice into wherever. And, um, that was, uh, that was a really hard, there was no tech, like I had no technical responsibilities. Uh, it was pure leadership, um, dealing with the, good and the bad that goes with that. Um, so I was, I was pretty unhappy the first few months. Uh, and I tried my best to get out of it. <laughs> I tried to transfer <laughs> into That's the, funny. so at Aviano, there's a, uh, so at every base, there's a communication squadron. We call it comm squadron. And that's basically the IT shop for the base. So they handle all the, you know, the email, the networks, all this stuff. Um, and, uh, and so that's where the traditional IT stuff, again, you could take, you could pluck somebody out of civilian IT and put them in, they, they do fine and vice versa. That gets, it's really, a lot of it's really equivalent. Um, and, uh, and so I was in this, you know, quasi army unit and I was like, like, get me into the comm squadron I'll do anything. And, um, uh, and they, they wouldn't let me go. And, uh, and I, over time I kept, I tried many times over my three years, uh, and eventually I became, uh, too valuable uh, to the, the deployable squadron I was in and they wouldn't let me go cause I had already been there, for, uh, too long, but did you get the special identifier? Oh, what's that? Well, so like I know on the list of people it happened more with the operators, but you uh, get the special identifier where that you're qualified to work in that type of unit. And basically you're only going to those units. Yeah, no, they don't <laughs> like, do that. They do do that around, for officers. Uh, that's good. Yeah, that's good. Right. Yeah. You need the diversity of, yeah, yeah it makes sense. It makes sense. Yeah. No, they don't. They, they, they definitely issue that for the officers because the idea is for the officers. And again, this is not just air force. You, you're supposed to have a breadth of knowledge because one day you're going to be a general, you know, like you, everybody's on this uh, career path. Uh, and you have to have uh, done all these different things, so you can't stay in one place for a long time. Uh, and in the, uh, uh, in contrast, uh, that's acceptable to a much larger extent. 
uh, in at the enlisted level where you could stay somewhere five, eight years uh, in one base. So you guys served uh, not necessarily the exact same years, but there was an overlap. And uh, we've heard all about Doug's accolades being top <laughs> of his class and all that. But I want to hear the dirt. Um, at some point, uh, Sean, you did serve under under Doug's leadership. So I, I want to hear about that. Yeah, so strict to all of us. Um, no, no enjoying work. I mean, from the moment we showed up to the moment we left, it was like, you have to be, you know, top notch. No, I'm kidding. Um, no, it was... It was um, you know, as he alluded to, right? Like it's it's funny all these years to kind of to kind of hear from his side. I think it, it was a I think stressful environment. Just one because what was happening, and then two, like the type of unit that oh, we yeah, were sure. in, right? Like the the whole idea of our unit is like, you know, go deploy somewhere. So you do a lot of exercises. Like our day to day was basically like training and exercises was our day to day to go deploy somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. So we'd have like I remember, you know, we had this thing where like. Everybody got recalled, which basically just means they, they call you off PTO. They call you off whatever you're doing. Everybody, like, goes to work. And it was like, hey, we might get deployed. So we were working 18-hour days and, you know, palletizing equipment, which just means you, you pack all the equipment up on these pallets. They have to – you have to be able to, like, you know, specify kind of, like, your your load and, and the equipment that you need to go get this job done based on a set of parameters and then pack it all up. And it has to fit on X amount of aircraft, right? There's There's a bunch of planning logistics that goes into it and – you know, we're all working 18 hour days to go get all this put together and you make sure that everything's, you know, ready. And of course, military being military, there's even a little bit of, you know, I think like heightened, you know, heightened kind of pressure around this. And then I remember like at the last moment, it was like, well, you know, the, the joint chiefs, instead of sending 340 Air Force people to go to this job, the joint chiefs decided to send like 25 Marines, <laughs> you know, to go do it, stand down. You don't have to go on this deployment. It was like, okay. And then, you know, next thing we know, I mean, I think it's like three months or four months later, you know, a bunch of people are going out to a NATO exercise in Poland and then a bunch of other, you know, a month after that, we're all deploying Iraq for, for seven months, right? And so um, it was super interesting because like a lot of the job is like set up, tear down, set up, tear down, you know, so that requires kind of like you, you get some exposure to a different type of, you know, the different type of work than showing up somewhere and like everything's set up and you're just maintaining it. Right. And so, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. Um, yeah, on that, like that's the setup stuff. So that was one of my uh, responsibilities I had inherited was just like, how do we, um, how do we organize and efficiently set up a site? And so just to, so people aren't familiar uh, for our unit, we had like, like 120 people uh, that we would deploy with, you know, give or take. And then we have a uh, satellite, uh, equipment would be our main connection back to the world and there'd be mm-hmm. a big dish. And, and then from that link, then there were, uh, uh, you know, multiplexers and router, eventually you get to routers mm-hmm. and phone lines and stuff. And there are different teams would do these different things, but, um, we had to be able to arrive on scene and be up and operational in like 24 hours. And so you have both a lot of work to do and a lot of people to do it, but that's, but somebody has to figure out how to, how to make this happen mm-hmm. and who, what mm-hmm. has to be done before something else and who's working on, you know, where are their shortfalls in labor? And so it is a really unique, um, uh, type of, type of problem, but, um, we would just practice this a lot and just get, get to know what works and doesn't work. 
I mean, you guys seem to have had a tremendous experience. So looking back in hindsight, right, and I know this is kind of off the cuff here, so you know, feel free to take a moment to think about it, but what do you think are the opportunities that you got to have because of your service in the armed forces and specifically the Air Force that you don't think you would have had otherwise? You know, for for me, I think, you know, there's probably like a, a, a fairly long list, right? You know, there's kind of the you know, there's a set of like hard technical skills that I think are there, you know, but I'll, I'll kind of mention first, you know, the military, I mean, it's, it's definitely a diverse workforce, right? So you kind of think about like working with a diverse group of people. Um, and, and, you know, it's not the same as quite working in the civilian world, right? There's kind of that, there's a little bit of more rigor and structure around it that kind of, you know, people learn to behave in a way that, you know, you can work in a diverse workforce. Right. But it's still, it's still there and it's still important. You know, there's really no, um, there's, there's not a lot of like right, wrong or indifferent. There's not a lot of time to kind of show up with, you know, your, your quote unquote baggage, right. The, the stuff that you're doing is super important. Um, the attention to detail, like I know it might sound kind of cliche, but things like, no, actually paying attention to details. Cause it could be little stuff where like, you know, I mean, I used to, you know, have to know how to solder circuit boards, right? Like now that's mm. not really a skill you do today, but, um, you know, you have to learn how to solder circuit boards. You have to learn, you know, this, like how to do some field level, like in-depth maintenance on equipment that, you know, you only have X amount of spares. You're not going to order more, right? right? Like this is what you, and so like, if you break it, you know, the consequences to that, right, is, is significant. So again, like paying attention to these kind of little, little, little things really come into play, um, you know, really paying attention to the minute details, understanding and, and kind of learning some of this comes with experience, right. But kind of learning like the important things to kind of pull out and, and, and pick up and pay more attention to than some of the others. I mean, you know, I guess, could you learn those, you know, in other roles, are they exclusive to the military? No, they're not exclusive to the military, but boy, you know, for myself, I mean, by the time I got to, you know, I finished my tech school and I got to Italy, I'm like the reverse of Doug. Italy was my first base. And then I went to go, I left Italy and went to go work in a, in a comm squadron at a network center, like running the network. But, you know, at that age, right? Like most, you know, I, most 2020, I was 21 by the time I got to Italy, right? Like most 21 year olds, you're not, exposed to those types of things. Right. So mm-hmm. right. Yeah. learning some of those skills sometimes comes a lot later. Um, you know, I think, and, and so for myself, like it was really advantageous, you know, to be able mm-hmm. to kind of pick that up. Um, I, I later, you know, my military career kind of like after Aviano, you know, got the opportunity to go work in some areas and work, you know, across branches and these joint teams that I think was like pretty, um, that was pretty unique. And then it was like, okay, you know, you're getting inserted into kind of this, this, you know, bigger organization and figuring out how to go function and, and, you know, show up and provide like, you know, significant value because the work that you're doing, you know, is incredibly important. Um, and, and so I think, you know, for some people that might feel intimidating, I didn't, I, I felt like well prepared to go do it um, at that point. Yeah. And so I think that that, you know, like just having, you know, you build like a level of confidence, right? Like all of those things, again, at a, at a young age, I mean, even then, right, I was in my early 20s, you know, kind of going and doing this stuff that, you know, literally I could I could see, you know, the work that I would do 
And that, like, hey, it allowed, like, other people that were over there, like, you know, hunting down Al-Qaeda and going out on missions and stuff. Like, oh, the work that I do, like, if I do this correctly, like, maybe they get to go home, you know, at the end mm. of this deployment. Yeah. Right? Like, maybe they get to go home to their family. Um, because the work I'm doing is allowing them to share information with others. It's mm-hmm. going to be super important. That that type of, you know, it's it's hard to kind of get that level of... Um, you know, if you want to call it like mission focus or whatever, right? Like that level of kind of like, I get to see the reward and the work that I'm doing and understand how important it is. You know, yeah, I, would very, say, uh, I would say on that, Sean, like uh, you, it's not hard to get fired up uh, about what you're doing. You know, yeah. That, when you're in that kind of environment, whereas I think um, outside of a, a, a military uh, or something like that, um, uh, maybe you're, you're you're at Dunder Mifflin. You're on, uh, you know, uh, selling papers. Something, something that, like that's a, uh, you know, a, a comedic example. But like, it's hard to get fired up about selling paper. Like it's, um, but you can get, um, get pretty, uh, pretty motivated. Um, I mean, you both mentioned hard skills. Uh, just having worked with specific gear, and Doug, you talked about going through the Cisco certification path for a time, right? And I assume, Sean, there was a lot of hard training there. I mean, you were in a training program, right? Um, you also alluded to a lot of soft skills. So, you know, I, I mean, I, I, I want to know why then you transitioned or rather you chose to stay in the tech field when you left uh, the Air Force. I mean, I'm assuming it's because you already had that background and maybe it was an easier transition. I don't know. But why is it that you then chose to not do something else, but instead stay with tech? Yeah, I mean, I, I could say for myself, right, like, you know, getting exposed to networking, like, that's, I was like, oh, wait, I can do what with packets, right? Like, first it was just troubleshooting, you know, and you're like, okay. It is cool, I agree. You know, so first it was like, you know, you know, like, hey, the printer doesn't work, right? And, I mean, if you want to get motivated to become a better technician, like, go work on printer tickets, right? Because it defies all logic. Oh, goodness, yeah. They're so painful. And so I was like... I'm working on printer tickets and there's other people that are working on like more important stuff and I want to get the hell off these printer tickets. So, you know, Mm -hmm. I went and really applied myself to, to, you know, doing something more valuable, but you know, for me, like I was, you know, I I, kind of the same, same thing like Doug mentioned, right? Like I I got to go through, you know, different Cisco courses, you know, really learn, I mean, everything from like the, the foundational fundamentals of like how ethernet works, right. To, to, okay, here's how you operate a network, right? Here's, yeah. you know, it was a lot of layer two kind of stuff at the time, right? A lot of old, like, Catalyst 4500s and, you know, some pretty older older switches. But um, even, like, Cat OS prior to Cisco iOS, a uh, good amount of that, too. But, you know, it, it was, like, doing a lot of that, and then I was like, oh, this is cool, right? And even at the time, I could see where, like, everything was running on the network. And, I mean, that was, you know, early 2000s, right? Like, you today it's you know incredible i mean as you were describing right you're kind of like talking about the the work that you do and it helps impact others right and we think about like the whole experience of everybody going remote during covid right it's like hey yeah. the internet and bgp can handle this right like yeah. you know it's pretty cool i don't know i I, yeah. I think that's pretty amazing when you really think about what what's happening with it so for me i actually left it's it's so funny because the reason i left the military was you know, I was trying to kind of look and play out my next steps. And, um, I enjoyed the air force way more than I thought that I would. They actually took, 
you know, really good care of me. Um, I had some incredible leaders and supervisors and met some great people in the Air Force. Um, you know, and I mean, shoot, my wife and I met, you know, in the Air Force, right? So, oh, really? You know, I, I, for me, I enjoyed it. I was like, oh, I could stay in and keep doing this. But it was actually like I was looking at the the real, you know, technical in-depth, like if you want to really specialize in networking, those positions tended to kind of get contracted out, right? Where you'd become a defense oh, okay. contractor. And so, you know, because in the military, the longer you're in, you're going to pick up some leadership skills and kind of, you know, they're going to move you around. Even as an enlisted person, sure, you might have a, a specialty, but things change, right? And so I was like, oh, well, I really enjoy this and I want to stay really technical. Um, so I'll get out and become a defense contractor and go get my CCNP type of thing, right? Like that was my, yeah. and you know, that's what I did, right? Like that's pretty much the path that I took. But um, so for me, it was, it was clear. I actually was getting out because I found what I loved doing, um, mm. okay. you know, in, in the Air Force, if that makes any sense. Oh, it makes total sense. Yeah. I mean, I love what we do as well. A different different path, different experience for sure. But, uh, you know, I remember doing printer tickets on a help desk. My, my initial impetus to get uh, – I was a high school teacher. I taught high school English for five years. And um, I, the very, very rewarding. But I wanted to make more money, and I wanted to have a project that never ended. I'm kind of a type A. And so I was like, oh, I, I need to – I'm teaching Julius Caesar again this year. Yeah, you can change the lesson plan a little bit. And it's rewarding to work with young people, yes. But – for me personally, I'm like, I got to do something else. So I got into tech originally for the money and for the, like I said, the never-ending project. It's just a never-ending stuff to do, and I wanted that. And um, when I got into tech, I was fixing printer tickets, or, or rather, you know, addressing the printer <laughs> tickets and then fixing the printer, uh, which, like you said, defied logic a lot of the time. But nevertheless, that's what you did. You know, you change passwords, and then you start doing level two stuff and, and this and that. And that's what happened to me. Again, different path. Yeah, sure. So for Doug, I mean, and, and for Sean, both of you guys, how, how has your experience then played a role in your career in the past years, or however many years since you've been in tech in a civilian capacity? You've already went through a lot with me to talk about leadership, and obviously you did some Cisco stuff, so you learned some of the basics about Ethernet and things like that. But beyond that, how has your experience contributed to where you are today? Or maybe I'll go first. I'll I'll just mention it quickly. Of my um, uh, so I I had to decide um, a little like Sean. Like again, it's, it's even worse as an officer. Of like as you as you stay in and move up, you're going to get farther and farther away from uh, hands-on technical stuff, um, and it's a little more just management uh, leadership. And I had to make a decision uh, how much. Did I want to do that uh, versus uh, like you got to figure out what's, what makes you happy? And uh, I was I, I think I was happier. I still am uh, uh, with the um, getting being close to the technical stuff. And I at, in yeah. 2003 um, at that point, I hadn't decided to leave yet, um, but I had uh, started a dialogue with the U.S. Air Force Academy where they had a program where they would pick you up to be an instructor and they would send you to graduate school somewhere. Um, or they would cover it. And, um, uh, and then, um, so I had, there was, a, there's kind of an informal process and then there's a formal process. And so I had an informal conversation and they were, they were going to pick me up as an Air Force Academy instructor, um, and then send me to a uh, civilian grad school of my choosing. And then, uh, I, so then I started shopping around for grad schools and, um, 
uh, in the end, I made a trip back to, yeah, right around the same time, I, I made a trip back to the U.S. So I was living in Italy, went back to um, uh, the U.S. to visit uh, Dartmouth. I met uh, the guy who ended up being my advisor, and and he basically made an offer, and he's like, we're going to, we'll we'll pay for you to come to grad school for free. Like we'll, mm. in fact, you'll get a stipend. You'll essentially get paid to go to grad school here mm. at an Ivy League institution. And I was like, there's no strings attached. Uh, like I was just, I didn't understand. I couldn't compute that with my military mind because everything you get in the Air Force, there's kind of a string attached. You have a, mm. they call it active duty mm. service obligation. So if you, if they pay for more school, then you have to stay in for a little longer. And, it, um, uh, and to get something, I was like, I was like, I just don't get this. I even asked him, uh, like, can you put that in writing? And he thought it was really funny. He was like, yeah, we can put that in writing. That's fine. Yeah. Um, this, is, like, this is pretty standard. He had grant money. And uh, and so then around the same time, I got back to Aviano and the Air Force Academy was like, um, uh, well, you'd have to commit to a PhD at uh, the Air Force Institute of Technology in Dayton, Ohio. And I was like, well, I was like, Dartmouth has offered me free, like a free master's degree if I go. And so it kind of made the decision fairly easy. So I ended up actually filing mm -hmm. my paperwork to leave the Air Force before we deployed to Iraq. So it was already, um, uh, I've already, I was already on my way out. And then we, Sean and I went to Iraq. Anyway, so then I went to graduate school. Uh, I, I lucked out. We're both now my undergrad and my graduate school. Uh, I never paid a dollar of tuition. Um, awesome. Uh, it's very, very hard cool. to do that these days. Both things, oh, yeah. the, you know, the, the ROTC scholarship now is capped, and uh, schools, it's really rare to get a master's degree. They'll pay for a PhD, but a master's degree uh, to get that covered with grant money. Um, and uh, At an Ivy uh, League school, no, no, no less. Yeah, it was a pretty good school. And so then... Yeah, uh, yeah. And then I started working as a defense contractor, a little like Sean. And I was like, I, um, yeah, I kind of wanted to do something different, worked in healthcare IT for a bit and then landed in, uh, this little internet measurement startup called Renesis that, uh, um, and that kind of set me on the path that I'm on now. Yeah. The rest is history. You know, I think, I think one of the interesting things like Doug, for you that's cool um and i think a little bit for for you know a little bit unique in the industry is like you bring this element of kind of like geopolitics to what's happening with the internet right and kind of like marry these two things together and so from from my perspective it always seems like this good kind of mixture of you know your your time in the service your air force backgrounds and kind of things that you were exposed to and then you know on the on the non-technical side of that right and then kind of like bring in the technical side of it too. And I think it's always interesting because to me, like it brings a really cool, like human element to, you know, it's not, these aren't just routes being exchanged between routers, right? This is, you know, there's a, uh, college exams happening in this country and they shut down the internet or, you know, there's yeah. all these different things happening in the world. Right. And we watch like the intersection of these two things occur, you know, from a lot of your, your, um, you know, analysis and reporting back on it. And I think it's just a, I don't know. It's pretty unique. Yeah, I would draw, I would draw a line. Set. I would draw a line from that of living overseas. Uh, uh, I definitely was following the news very closely. Uh, yeah, when we, sure. You know, fo following September 11th. Uh, and um, yeah, that I arrived in Aviano August, 2001, September 11th was the following month. So all but one month uh, we were on the hook of getting our chain yanked to get deployed and like you mentioned this a minute ago, of I think every deployable unit across the entire Department of Defense 
was having having this experience where they were constantly getting recalled back from vacation or something start packing now stand down it's this isn't the time okay now it is now it isn't you know you'd be um and eventually you end up going but um yeah i, I guess the i guess the as far as soft skills there's probably a variety of skills one I, I, I guess I'm more of an introvert than an extrovert, uh, and so the experience of having to be in charge of all these people and getting up to speaking, and uh, um, that was a big growth uh, uh, experience for me, and it definitely has a big definitely shapes how I am today. Uh, like yeah. the mm -hmm. the person, the Doug going into that job, and then the Doug that came out three hours late, three year, three years later. Uh, very different people, you know, mm -hmm. certainly a lot more confident, like Sean was mentioning. So, I mean, you guys have mentioned all of these positives. I don't want to be contrarian, but I kind of do a little bit. I mean, is there anything that you can think of that you'd say, honestly, this was kind of a negative experience that was something I had to work through when I transitioned to civilian life or when I got into civilian tech? I've got a quick one uh, that okay. definitely comes to mind. So I mentioned I worked in healthcare IT, and I was in a situation there where uh, there was – I don't want to derail this whole conversation to explain it, but it was just basically – there was a uh, – I was an IT security officer. Uh, the head of the networking services did not want to cooperate. There was a lot of conflict, um, a lot of okay. – uh, uh, yeah, a lot of conflict in the job, a lot of arguments. Uh, yeah, pretty tense, and I was – uh, as a young man was like, I don't, I don't care. I will not back down. I will fight this, you know, to, and at some point I, you, uh, that's, I wouldn't make that decision today. I, I like looking back on it. It was a, it was a scenario where I probably should have left earlier. Um, and the reason I stayed as long as I did was, uh, because of maybe, uh, maybe a bit of pride and also just, um, feeling like I, uh, I gotta win. I gotta. I gotta. Um, don't back down, kind of thing. But I think I, I feel like that was a little bit of a men military mentality where you're like, you can't. Hmm. You have to keep fighting. You have to keep. Uh, you cannot uh, give up on uh, uh, getting to advocate for your thing. But at, at some point, you do have to recognize you're in a bad situation and you just have to leave. Like sometimes hmm. that's just the. Okay. You don't have. You don't have control of the environment. So um, I don't know. I had to. I had to kind of learn that. Um, after after getting out of the, the military, I mean that sounds like a good quality, a good a good character trait. Sticking to something and, and pushing until you get your you know, accomplish your goal. Yeah, you just have to know. You have to know when when the time's up. And I th I went. Yeah, right, too long. right. Yeah, it's more nuanced than that, isn't it? In real life, yeah. You know, for me, like I don't know, I was pretty I was pretty fortunate. I'd say that probably one of the more challenging things, maybe coming out. You know, I I, I kind of you know I was able to to work across. Um, like when I was still in, I, I you know, kind of volunteered to go do this assignment because I was getting the deployment itch and wanted to go deploy again and ended up going with like a, um, it was a really, landed a really cool job, like unbeknownst to myself. I didn't know what I was getting into, but it was, you know, kind of going and working with this, uh, this joint special operations command. And so it was just a really interesting dynamic environment. But, you know, after that and then getting out of, the air force and going and becoming a defense contractor that, you know, the perspective changes a little bit, right? The value that I brought to the employer was not only the, the skill set that I had and the security clearance that I had, but also, you know, kind of that, that, um, ability to like align around a common vision, you know, kind of, kind of building unity of effort 
you might call that mission oriented. Like that was a value that I brought to it. But the dynamic there is like much different, right? You're kind of going into this business world where, you know, it's much different than in the Air Force. Um, some of the metrics in a business world that they go look at is, you know, significantly different than in the military where there's all these things that you have to kind of consider that don't really, you know, come into play. The other thing that I realized quickly, um, so, so I'll say one, like that was an adjustment. It was just a bunch of skills I didn't really have, right? And of, of kind of like it was a completely new environment. And so it took me a while, I think, to kind of figure that out. Um, the, the other one was that I didn't really realize some of the common kind of unifying character traits of being in the military. You know, it's one of those things like you take it for granted till you don't, till it's not there. And so once I kind of, you know, quote unquote, entered the civilian workforce a little bit more, you know, there's, there's extremely different levels of like work ethic that, that people have in different things that motivate them. Mm. And, yeah. you know, that's not always a bad thing, right? Like sometimes, you know, there's work that has to get done and you need somebody to go get that work done and kind of maintain some things. And there's value that they bring to the table that, you know, they might not be the, the a type top performer on the team. Right. But like, you can't have, you know, by definition, everybody on the team, a top performer, right. You need, you need some folks that they're like, you know what, I want to show up and go do this stuff and sure. I'll handle these things that need to get done and I'll be content with that. Um, it took me a little bit to respect that to be honest. Um, so, so that was like a little bit of a, mm-hmm. a little bit of an adjustment, but overall, I mean, I, there's, you know, I, I didn't have much of a, much of a downside. I might, I might hop on, uh, yeah. Sean, something you had mentioned a while back here of, uh, some of the, maybe back on the positive things, the strengths, um, you had mentioned diversity. Uh, and I feel like there's, uh, that too was something that struck me, in, uh, was that there are people coming from every walk of life uh, of American society uh, entering the middle, and they're and they're just kind of thrown together <laughs> a variety of races religions uh, we've got inner city guys with guys from little little um, rural town uh, somewhere in America um, and everybody learns how to work together and um, and so there's a a very very cool egalitarian element to that that um and there's people i i probably wouldn't have otherwise interacted with uh that i had to work with that i think was um uh it's a really neat that's a it's a um uh it's a very unique uh environment uh that make um the military in that respect so then uh here's here's my last question for you guys uh what would be your advice to someone uh today right now who is considering enlisting in one of the armed services, maybe considering getting into tech as a career, or this is kind of weird, but maybe considering doing both. What would you say to them? I, to, to me, I would encourage anyone, you know, to go do it, especially if you don't, if you're like a little bit on the fence, you're not really sure what you want to do and you need some direction. You know, I, look, everybody's experience is different. There's people that go and join the military and they're like, they hated it, right? It didn't work. But that provided them direction. Mm. <laughs> I mean, like, like you know, it's a perspective, right? Like that. True. Right. Sometimes you learn what you don't want to do, right? And so, you know, I, I am fortunate that that wasn't my scenario. 
the benefits that I, from that six year enlistment, right. You know, I mean, it helped pay for my college, right. I, I did a little bit, started a little bit of college in, in the military and then, you know, coming out of it, it helped pay for all my college tuition, which wasn't cheap. Um, it helped provide, you know, not only all the direction for things, but also, you know, I get, you know, if I, I can buy a house easier with a VA loan and don't require money down. Right. There's, there's like all these little things from my service that throughout the course of my life have continued to benefit me, um, is kind of like a redeeming value that just, you know, kind of continues. And so I would say, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot you can get out of it. It's like anything, right. You, you got to put some in, you know, you got to put skin in the game to get something out of it. The military is no different than that. You can, I know people that went and did their four years and then went back home and picked up right back where they were before they left off. Right. So like you have to put something into it to, to get out of it. But um, to me, I, I think there's a lot there. If you look at, you know, just the, the, the state of cybersecurity today, and if you wanted to go or you have maybe an inkling of an interest in that type of career field, like I wasn't in cybersecurity, right? Those fields in the military when I joined were like kind of didn't exist when I first joined, right? But you go look at that today. I don't know if there's a better place out there to go learn um, cybersecurity, right? And those type of capabilities. Yeah, right. Sure. Um, I, you know, mm-hmm. my security clearances took me in all sorts of jobs. I mean, I, I came out making a fantastic salary for somebody at the time with no college degree, you know, six years of experience and a security clearance. Mm-hmm. I, it, again, it set me on a good path. So, yeah, I, I know watching some of the, um, uh, the airmen that were in our squadron, it's interesting to see the ones that were really taking advantage of the situation, you know, to their extent, they kind of had a, had a were mature enough to have a plan of, um, trying to get some skills, not, blow too much of their money um i don't know there was a kid uh i don't know sean if you remember there's a kid uh ruben um i forget what group he was with was anyway he we had some conversation you'd find these weird things every once in a while where you'd you'd um you'd have the younger guys would like re-enlist they get a little bonus and then they're driving like a brand new bmw or something uh in the parking lot and the uh Right, officers right. are driving the 92 Honda and uh, I had some conversation with this one kid and uh, he uh, I was like you're not going to do that right and he's like no he's like um, in fact he's like I don't spend like almost any of my money uh, because I uh, I'm living in the dorms uh, all my food is covered and my plan is to try to save every dollar uh, like I have 100% disposable income my, my salary and uh, and I was like, man, what a, this kid's 19. He's like, he's, act, he's, uh, he's got a plan yeah. like a 50 year old of like, how would you maximize the benefit? And he, he had studied the system. He was like, I'm maximizing everything that I can get out of this. And I don't know where that guy is now. Uh, but I remember him. I'm sure yeah. he's, I'm sure he's doing great. I was yeah. just like, I was like, oh, I never really thought about it. Like, um, uh, but yeah, like you, so I, I think of that guy and I think of like, of a, a kid who, you know, there's a lot, I think there's a lot of, a lot of, uh, young people out there are sufficiently bright to learn any of this stuff. Um, and, um, yeah, if they can make the cut, uh, like the air force, the air force, I guess is the model for all the military, you know, you, you bring in a lot of people, you bring in a lot of people and, uh, assuming some of them are going to work out and be, um, uh, be highly skilled, and then somewhere you have to get to get rid of a bunch, and that's just 
the way it works. A company wouldn't, we'd go out of business if I had to operate like this, but um, just to hire legions of people right out of high school. And, uh, but if you are a, if you turn out to be a, a, a smart, useful person, then there's like uh, so much training money uh, to be showered on you. Uh, you may not make a huge salary, but they've got a lot of money to train you. And if you seem like you have some uh, ability to be trained, uh, then you're going to be getting a lot of this. And um, anyway, so I think there's a lot of opportunity for uh, for folks, especially these days. So I think uh, yeah. if you don't know, you know, uh, like Sean said, if you don't, you're not set on your direction, you're trying to figure it out. Uh, it's a great, um, uh, I think there's a lot of opportunity there and you can learn a lot of skills and then you can leave and yeah. go do something else like Sean and I did, or you can stay like it's, it's up to you. Um, but at that point in your life, it's a great time to, um, to also not just get the skills, but then go get stationed overseas, you know, go to oh, yeah. go live in Italy, go live in Japan. If I, I, if I was to tell a high school kid, I was like, go enlist and get stationed in Germany or Japan or somewhere, go live overseas because you'll never, you may never do it again. Uh, and most people never have that uh, opportunity. Mm-hmm. It's such an amazing. What? Um, when I arrived to Italy, I was like, they're never getting rid of me. Like if they keep this up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, guys, uh, I'm really glad to hear that you had such positive experiences. But, uh, anyway, I appreciate uh, you guys joining me today and for your, uh, your stories, your experiences, and, and your advice to those that are looking at this as an opportunity uh, for themselves, whether it be uh, serving in the military, getting into tech, both. So, um, you know, as we wrap up here, Sean, um, can, how can folks r- reach out to you online? Yeah, I'm still on Twitter. I'm not going to call it X. Um, <laughs> I'm on Twitter, so uh, yeah, Sean L V S H E A N L V, and then uh, you can find me on LinkedIn too. Usually, usually LinkedIn's not the best place to reach out to me. I usually ignore messages, but Twitter uh, is is probably the the best spot. So yeah, thanks Phil for for having me on. Much appreciated. Yeah, no, it was my pleasure. Great. And uh, Doug, how about you? Uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm also on LinkedIn, and I will respond to your message on LinkedIn. Uh, unlike some people. Uh, mm-hmm. I usually, you know, people send me, I'll write something, I'll get, I just wrote a couple things recently and I get a bunch of uh, like friend requests or whatever you call it on LinkedIn. I usually write a little message back to the person. I try to do this uh, and just say, thanks for linking uh, with me. If there's anything I can do for you, let me know. And um, I I try to do that every time. And I, every once in a while, it sparks a great conversation. Uh, Most people are just like, well, thanks. And I was like, okay. And then every once in a while, there's somebody somewhere in the world with some interesting story to tell me. Uh, So... I will, re- I will respond. Yeah. So for our audience out there, uh, if you are interested in connecting with Doug on LinkedIn, I encourage you to do that right now and spark an entire conversation <laughs> of, uh, of, of great depth and insight with our director of internet analysis. Now, uh, on the serious note, if, uh, if you have an idea for a show or you'd like to be a guest on Telemetry Now, I do encourage you to reach out to us at uh, telemetrynow at kentic.com. And uh, of course, thanks for listening. And until next time, bye-bye.